0: So you want to watch a movie, but you don't know which, choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have affected the art, so sit back, relax, and trust the dark, it's Dartboard Movie Night. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies up on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. What's going on, Jared? How is, how is your, how, how's your night going?
1: Oh, it's going great, dude. Going great. As usual, excited to talk about this film. How you doing tonight?
0: Uh, well, clearly I'm tripping over my words like a motherfucker, so we'll see. I'm doing good. The good, movie good. was entertaining. I had a really good time with it and I'm excited to get into it. So I think we should start the episode here just by talking about... I, th- I think we've got a little order of business with the rules here. We've we've been on, you know, this... We had a summit. We, we, had, we, like, had, we a had a summit. Together. We had this kind of setup that we've been using until this point, which is that anytime one of our movies gets taken off, the person who put it up there gets to choose what goes on in its place. In order to have... A, in order to ensure that... Over the course of the year, we do a nice split of both of our choices. We have come up with a new way of doing that. Do you want to tell people what yeah. we're doing here, Jared?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we looked at the board. And for people who might not know, I'm sure it's been mentioned, but I am not a dart player. I have just I play very casually once in a while. And I guess I never really looked closely at a dart board. I just assumed the numbers alternated between odds and evens like around the board. If you actually take a good look, and anyone who plays in the dart knows this, that is not the case. If you look towards like the bottom of, of the dartboard, like the bottom three or four wedges are like seven, 19, three, and 17. So you get these clumps around the board where like all these numbers are jammed up. And I honestly can't see any real rhyme or reason to why the numbers exist where they do, you know? I don't know if maybe I'm just not aware but this coupled with the fact that I don't really play darts and I'm not a strategic or accurate thrower. We felt like we might have a better way to, yeah. to split up the board as we roll well, up.
0: Cause as it stands now, my even numbers, I've got a little strike zone right at the bottom of the board where if your dart dips, it just immediately flows right into these four numbers right in a row. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's built for me to just gouge you. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And then in addition to that, there are just these numbers that I just am drawn to. Like do you have the information pulled up of like I mean we could talk about it in a second no, but like no. I think it's worth talking of- about
0: right now. We can dig into like dartboard stats real quick before we jump into the body of the the move or the show here. Um let me pull up the dart stats, but we we've hit a few numbers multiple times at this point. So at this point, we've hit we've hit seven different numbers in total. And we've mm-hmm. done nine episodes, mm-hmm. so the numbers we've hit are one we've hit once, three we've hit once, seven we've hit twice, ten we've hit three times, thirteen we've hit once, fourteen we hit once, and seventeen we hit once. So ten and right. seven are the ones that have been hit a couple of times. Um, yeah. So. That's one repeat on mine. And all three of your choices have come from, or excuse me, three of your four choices have come from number 10.
1: Right. And obviously, our sample size is like super small. So this isn't necessarily indicative of a trend. It might just be a blip in the radar. But if it turns out that I just keep hitting 10 as we move forward, like, you know, once a month or something, um, I think we found a way to kind of switch it up and add some diversity to how we put something on the board it's real simple the idea is we're just going to alternate week to week so at the end of this episode i'm going to be the person nominating the replacement regardless of the fact that 10 was even that doesn't matter anymore and then no matter what dart we hit tonight after we're done talking and we throw it drew will be the one to nominate the next film to the board and i think i think that'll have a lot of positives honestly it's a small change but i think an important one
0: yeah no, it's just it's a way for us to and I think that's fun too because it's gonna change up ownership of the numbers. so it's totally it's, and it's gonna make it so that it's, it's even more random than it is right now. So I like the change. I think it's the way forward. and if you don't like it, uh, well go fuck yourself because we're yeah. doing the rules.
1: Go make your own show. hey all right. I just wanted to say yeah. so normally we we dive right in and we just start talking like, oh, how to get this on the board and all that stuff. and we will obviously do that here. But I wanted to hit you with just a question to kind of get us rolling here, which is that this movie bound that we're going to be talking tonight is is a directorial debut from the Buchowski's. and it just um just made me think like what are the other like great directorial debuts? you know, like do you have any that like kick around as like that might be my favorite of just like first time director just knocks it out of the park and just absolutely like fucking kills it.
0: There's definitely a lot of, of very solid debut films. You know, like I'm thinking like uh, your your Mean Streets, your, um, I guess, was that, was that, or no, Boxcar Bertha is his debut, isn't it, Scorsese? I didn't look it up, but that was one that occurred to me.
1: When I was formulating the list in my head, and it didn't end up being a selection of mine, mm-hmm. so I didn't really look into it, but... It was one of his first, but, you know, it's so weird. These directors oftentimes have these really small projects, obviously, I and mean, it makes sense. But before, they officially have, like, a theatrical release, but they still count. So it's hard to figure out where we draw the line.
0: Well, right? I was just going to say, though, that, like, I mean, there's a lot... Like, I think Heart Eight is a really good movie. It's not a great <laughs> movie, maybe. Um, I think... Yeah, I agree with that. You know, if, if we're talking the era that I kind of grew up loving in terms of it's kind of what made me fall in love with movies is like the nineties independent film movement. So like some of the people that I think of from that, that had big debut films would be like Quentin Tarantino with reservoir dogs for sure. Mm Um, I mean, that's, that's, I still think that movie's really fucking good. Uh, yeah,
1: dude, that movie, that is possibly my pick. Like that movie is so fucking good. Really, really,
0: really solid. Um, I think Whiplash from Damien Chazelle is a, a more recent one that I think Ooh. is brilliant. Cool answer, I like that. Um, I, I mean, Get Out from Jordan Peele, another you know amazing debut a, recently, dude. I was not thinking in a modern way. I love
1: these choices you got. Sorry, yeah, so these are to some just of
0: the Well, sorry, I, I jumped to those just because they came to mind and I wanted to get them out. But going back to what I was saying about the '90s independent film movement, um, you know, I, I also am a massive Spike Jones fan, and being John Malkovich is it it's holds up for me as one of the best movies of the '90s. Yeah, that movie is
1: crazy. I've only seen it once. It it like it was way darker than I expected. I thought it was going to be like this mm-hmm. silly silly movie, and I was like, "Whoa, this is going for something a lot bigger than what I thought." And it's a great movie. Do you think? Do you think that would be your choice? Um, I
0: don't know. Uh, I mean, that's that's They're definitely so different. up there. But I mean, look, I'm I'm looking through just the lens of what I grew up on. But I know there's yeah. a lot of classic examples of stuff that's just you know out of control, good as well. Ones that occurred to me,
1: I really like the options you said. And Reservoir Dogs is like I said, possibly the the champ. But the other one that really I was I couldn't get out of my mind was Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? And I think that's excellent my answer, choice. Which is I mean we we mentioned a tiny bit in the catch twenty two episode, but that movie is just awesome. Like it's 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 like the way I guess I would say it is in my for my money Reservoir Dogs is my favorite that I can think of for a directorial debut, but I think Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is the best. That's that the I've best. Seen. Okay.
0: I, yeah, I, I like, like that.
1: And it's kind of, yeah, it's like, that movie is just, meaning Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, so fucking strong. And, the, and I just, uh, there's something intoxicating about it. I think I've seen it three times now. And the first viewing was recent. It was like less than a year ago. And it's, um, it's just a great, great movie. And this is his first movie. He, like, almost, Mike Nichols almost didn't know, like, how cameras worked. Right. He, like, he, there was all these kind of funny anecdotes of him being like, oh, how are we going to film them and then pull back without bumping into the door frame that's behind us? <laughs> and the DP was like, we just zoom out. It's like, oh. And, you know, because Mike Nichols had a huge background with plays. So he's no stranger to directing actors. But it's just fascinating that he, pulled it off so well for his
0: first time it's, it's just pretty crazy it's when wild. anybody does it it's amazing no I need, I need to give that movie another watch uh just like because it's been a little while now since we did that and i yeah. i just i love it it's so good there was one
1: cheat that i did because i was kicking around some ideas like who's afraid of virginia wolf and War dogs and other things like that and I so I looked at a list just to kind of cross-reference, and I was like, "Holy shit! I did not know that Citizen Kane was Orson Welles'
0: debut." <laughs> yeah, that's a great example. That's 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 the, that's the one. A lot of like that's you know
1: historians one. believe that's like the best movie ever made, and it was his fucking directorial debut. He was also that's,
0: 25 that's,
1: when he made it. Goodness, that's heartbreaking. Do you think that the movie we're talking about tonight, Bound? Do you think that's going to break into this pantheon of like just great I,
0: debuts for you? It's really, really good. Um, I don't know if it's quite on that level for me yet, but I could see it. I could see it elevating to there. Well, I think let's dig into the movie here, Jared. How did this movie get on the board for us? So this, the origin of this. First of all, I'll just mention,
1: I, I had never heard of this movie, and I like a lot of the Wachowski movies that I've seen. But I wasn't really aware of this as a debut. So a few months ago, I bumped into my friend Patrick at a Christmas party. And we have always kind of dialed in on movies, kind of similar to you and I relationships. I don't know him as well, but we talk about movies all the time and we have a lot of the same tastes. And this was, like I said, right around Christmas time. So The Matrix 4 was about to be coming out. And we were working together at the time the trailer was released And we were talking about, do you think it's going to be good? Or at least rumors were swirling about Matrix 4 was coming. And he was very optimistic that the film was going to be good. And I was nervous about it. So anyway, we're leading up to the release of Matrix 4, talking about the Wachowskis. And he's like, have you seen Bound? I was like, no, never heard of it. And he's like, it's their debut. It's an incredible debut. Like this movie is, is sexy. It's strong. It's fantastic. You got to check it out. And it's like, I'm putting it on the list. So then I happened to... Just throw it up on the board. Seemed like a good time to check it out. And I was surprised at how quickly we hit it, even with my proclivities for 10s. But still, like pretty interesting that we hit it. So yeah, that's how it got on the board, had you seen this movie before? Had you seen Bound?
0: No, I had not. I was aware of Bound. I've I've been aware of it for you know a long time. It's it's kind of it's built into the the lore of the Wachowskis a little bit. So, mm. um, and it, and by all accounts, I it was just a great debut film, um, just like we were talking about before. And yeah, so it's been on my radar for a while, but for whatever reason, it's just not one that I ever thought to to watch. Had I known that it was. Uh, you know, a modern film noir, I would have been Mm. way more anxious to, to watch it. But um, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, if I'm, if we're being honest about, you know, kind of perceptions of what, you know, what we think of movies um, from the outset or like, you know, the preconceived notions we get about movies when we hear about them, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, I had chalked this up to be one of those where it was like the debut film that, that is worth watching to see where some, filmmaker comes from, but isn't necessarily, um, gonna, it's more of an educational watch, I guess, than, than Mm -hmm. one that's meant to be enjoyed. I don't know why I had that perception of this, but I did. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I had a blast with this man.
1: Yeah, I did too. And it's so like, you just never know how these ideas can kind of sneak in over the walls and just be like, how, why did I think this movie? I mean, I didn't have the same feeling. Like I said, I didn't know anything about it, but I've certainly had that experience with movies in the past, where it's like, where did I get this idea that this movie was not going to be good? Like, who, like how did this slip in? Uh, yeah. But I I had a great time with this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I've watched it once and then a second time with the commentary track on, which if anyone ever wants to get the Blu-ray, it's a fantastic commentary track because... The Wachowskis are pretty private people. They don't really like to discuss their work so much, as as far as I've seen. Mm -hmm. So it's awesome to hear them earlier in their career just talking. And they have, because they've been so uh, kind of reclusive and things like that, I've just assumed that they were kind of perhaps awkward people. Mm. They're delightful. They're very funny, they've got wonderful sense of humor. And to talk about a, a perception that I don't know how it snuck in. I don't know how I got, just because they don't want to be in the public eye. I think yep. that makes them awkward. That's silly. So uh, it's a I just great don't I don't think that track. they
0: like to color people's perception of their work necessarily. Like I think that they want the work to stand on its own. Yeah, and, I, and I think, I think that's so really too. admirable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If people dug this movie and if they didn't see it on Blu-ray and they like commentary tracks, highly recommended. One of the better ones I've heard in a long time. A lot of the cast you know, joins them. It's, it's, it's excellent. Yeah. But anyway, so first viewing, I really dug it. Yeah. And then second viewing, I just, with the commentary on, I just really started liking it even more. Mm -hmm. And I just, uh, it's really climbing the ranks for debuts. I don't know if it pierces into that upper layer yet, but it, I, the first time I saw it, I was like, I really like this really solid. Second time I liked it even more. Like it, it really grew strong on second view for me.
0: Yeah, I watched it uh, once all the way through. And then a second time today, I kind of jumped around and, and watched key scenes and kind of, you know, just clipped through to, to see, you know, check my reactions on things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I love this movie. I think it is so much fun. It, it hits all the same uh y things that I loved about, you know, In a Lonely Place and, like, Kiss Me Deadly. A lot of these movies I've talked about yeah. in past episodes. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of The Lady from Shanghai. And, like, you know, it, it, this is, like, playing in, in a lot of the same spaces as, as as those kind of movies. So before we dive into kind of more of the specifics about what we really dug
1: about the movie and everything like that, I thought it might be a good idea to just, like, just do a little bit of the table setting. and We've been talking about, directorial debuts tonight but mm-hmm. thinking too like i just wanted to get this out there right out of the gate this movie cost fucking 4 million dollars to make that's insane i read this 6 movie, you read 6 i heard in the
0: commentary they kept saying 4 okay um but that might be 6 adjusted for inflation i don't know
1: that makes sense cuz this was obviously mid 90s uh but still 4 million dollars and even if it is 6 that's still very low for the quality that we get in this movie,
0: absolutely. They they made so much out of so little.
1: Yeah, so many shots where I was just like, I I hadn't seen that before. But we'll get to the shots. But yeah, uh, just just crazy. You it's had wild. a note here. I wanted to hear more about this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, so I wrote.
0: I wrote in here something sort of cryptic. I wrote disputed reason for existing. <laughs> I don't know. Have you
1: ever, audience out there, have you ever heard a more cryptic <laughs> sentence in your life?
0: Unbelievable. No. So okay. So that what that means is there is a famous anecdote about this movie that Joel Silver, the producer of the the most of the early Wachowski stuff, uh, specifically The Matrix he's this famously gregarious, uh, someone called a piece of shit, uh, <laughs> producer from the nineties. He's famous for producing action movies specifically. And basically what Joel silver claimed back then, the thing that he kept repeating in interviews and stuff, uh, apparently I don't, I have never seen these interviews, but, um, was that bound was basically a, proving ground for the wachowskis to be able to make the matrix because what happened was the the wachowskis came to warner as the story goes anyway the wachowskis came to warner brothers with the script for the matrix and said we want to make this this is going to be groundbreaking it's going to change cinema which the warner brothers executives apparently read this script and sent it back to the wachowskis basically just saying like what is this explain this to us the wachowskis came in and explained it they were like okay this we get what you're doing this is great we want to do this but we need to know that you can actually handle a camera and manage a set because this is Mm. too big for a first-time filmmaker basically they had done some writing and stuff. They had been in the industry, but they had never directed anything on that scale. So the, the story goes that bound was basically this other script that they had written that they were like, okay, we can make this on a, on a tight budget. We'll do this. If this works, let us do the matrix. And Mm -hmm. that's how this came about. Apparently Lana Wachowski disputes this and says that that never actually happened and that that's just bullshit that Joel that Joel Silver was feeding to, you know, pump up the matrix and make this lore around the movie.
1: Yeah, it's it's like any good old wives tale. It's like somewhat believable, but, you know, I obviously believe lana over some hollywood producer if she says that 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 just didn't happen you
0: got to give her the benefit of the doubt on this one
1: (laughs) yeah of course and hearing in the commentary like i had no impression that this was a stepping stone film for them like the way they were talking about it they clearly love this movie like or they poured a lot of love into it you know and this was they were not doing this to receive a check to do the matrix. Like it mm-hmm. seemed like something that they were very passionate about and wanted to do and, yeah. and fucking did it. That's funny though. There's just, there's just this kind of big fish producer story out there.
0: Mm-hmm. No, totally. Um, but no, I I mean, I, I honestly, even though that is a good story to tell, part of me just prefers The reality, which is that this movie just came about because it was a great script and they could make it on a tight budget and they made a great movie out of it. I mean, this movie is not, uh, I mean, I mean, it is breaking ground in in it. It's, it's, it's doing new shit. And I mean, to, to say that about a debut film is pretty impressive, I would say, because usually when I think of a debut film, I think of someone, you know, doing something that's manageable, you know, it's something that they know they can deliver a decent product from, Because they're skilled, but, but it's not necessarily something where they're challenging themselves. This feels like they were kind of challenging themselves in a way. Yeah,
1: I think they were. It's, it seems like they were inventing a lot of different types of shots. And you'd, you'd think that a first time, first time filmmakers would maybe be a little more cautious and maybe a little more reserved and be like, well, let's, let's use the bag of tricks, a pre existing bag of tricks. And let's go from some shots that are guaranteed to work or Mm -hmm. whatever the Wachowskis were incredibly ambitious in a lot of the shots they're trying to pull off and do pull off. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are incredibly technical, incredibly difficult, and there's so many ways that they can go wrong. And if you're working on such a tight budget with what I'm sure was a tight schedule, you could risk blowing a day trying to pull off something that's really complicated Absolutely. as opposed to just doing something that you know will work and is easy. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a brave choice they made to fucking take these big cuts visually and there were so many shots in the movie that i just have never seen before
0: well and you got to remember when they're making this in 1996 they don't have digital cameras they're not they don't have endless time to film this stuff they have to Mm. carefully plan it because they're shooting on film and film is expensive as hell so if you're Mm. running through film stock on a shoot that's when your budget starts skyrocketing so Mm. You know, in this movie where they're working on a four or a six million dollar budget, whatever it is, that's not a lot of fucking money for a production where you've got sound stages. You've got, you know, uh, at the time, you know, known actors, if not like super expensive actors. I mean, I'm sure that they all made under a million for this movie. I I don't believe anyone made more than, you know, a few hundred thousand at most. But,
1: well, you know, um, Jennifer
0: Tilly had been nominated for an Oscar, and she plays
1: Violet, you know, mm-hmm. kind of for the, Bullets Over Broadway. Fem- yep, yeah, and so I don't know how that fell in terms of when Bullets Over Broadway was released and when she signed on before. to do this movie, but she was very much an established actor. She and, was probably
0: and, the most established, I mean, Joey Pants was also pretty established at the time. Um, and we'll get to the actors for sure at, at a certain point, but yeah, I mean, I but do want point wanna...
1: being, they're not, they're not nobodies, these are known talent that costs some money to get them and, and and the Wachowskis mentioned how these these actors were kind enough to do it on the cheap. So they were making sacrifices. They knew they were trying to get something off the ground and they knew it was shoestring. Mm-hmm. But still, like this is this this shit costs money and this is a complicated movie even though it's it's set in a small setting yeah and it's just so fucking impressive that they pull off some of this shit
0: well i mean i want to go back to what you were saying because i mean you brought up the camera work i think we can kind of start there because the intro of this movie the way the camera is moving cutting between the the title screen the the Mm. bill pope just hammering score that i love at the beginning there the very it's yeah. just so over the top and it's like it's immediately setting the mood that you're in a heightened reality with this thing but the camera work is so fun um i mean that the, first we, shot. we need to talk about bill pope as a cinematographer For sure um he's fantastic but the uh yeah the, the camera moves over this person kind of gliding through this. This You don't really know where you are. You're disoriented because the camera's all upside down and topsy-turvy. And, you know, there's hangers, but you can't totally identify them as hangers right away. Yeah. And there's like... I, lo- I loved how delightfully
1: confused I was that first shot. Mm-hmm. Where I was just like, wait a minute. My brain was just like, what am I seeing right now? Yeah. And it took me... Uh, quite a long time before I could notice that oh those are clothes and there's someone tied underneath it. The, the, and we're in a closet but like it's really fun how how long they were able to keep me confused about what I was seeing do you know I wanted to mention this do you know what that thing is at the start of the shot do you remember there's that like string of like beads at the very beginning of the opening shot at like the bottom of it? Do you remember that? So I remember seeing. I was like, "What the fuck?" You know, so again, part of that initial processing of the shot. It's like, "What am I seeing?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Are those like are those anal beads?" I was like, "What? What am I seeing?" <laughs> and they and the Wachowskis mention it in. The commentary, it's the pull string, the chain pull string from a light. Got it. And it's it's like, and they mention it's like people never know what that is, but that's what it is. It's just a pull string. And I was like, oh my god, I had no idea that's what that was. And it's, and if uh, the reason I'm mentioning is because of the complexity of that shot. Yeah. If you're starting it from up top facing down, and there's a little pull chain dangling, I guess in, in front of the camera, and you proceed to have this very complicated camera move past the pole chain and then down over it
0: cranes it moves around it's like well that is an incredibly difficult how do you keep that in focus when you're in this like like really short distance and then you're you're moving the camera so that it's looking like at a much wider distance and then crazy you know like balancing that is it's an incredible feat um and it's something that like you wouldn't notice unless you're kind of trying to think about what is the camera work that went into this um but talking about bill pope the guy is a fucking legend. He, so what happened with this movie, apparently I want to say I read this on Wikipedia. I don't do a lot of deep diving on these things, folks. You're mostly getting Wikipedia shit. So if you have a problem with that, go fuck yourself. But, (laughs) go fuck. (laughs) uh, but Bill Pope apparently was not the original hire of the, of director of photography. Apparently some other guy was hired. And when they brought him on, he said he would try to do it for the small budget, but, when they were like prepping the movie, he was like, I can't, I can't do this movie for this budget. I just, I physically cannot do it. Mm. And Bill Pope said, apparently he came in and he said that, he had some buddies who would work on the cheap and that they could get it done for the budget and so he, he got brought in so he was like the budget guy and he came mm. in but he's just such so good it must just be like i mean the all my takeaway from that and this is completely just you know what what my reaction is but like my takeaway is that that guy is just so good that he's like i'll be able to do it in one where another guy might do it in 10
1: oh so such a gifted cinematographer and such a gifted dp because I mean today he is recognized as one of the greats of all time for sure. And it's just cool as obviously. But it's just crazy to think like you know it's so fun to see people's early careers and you know before they get the recognition that's due to them but it's just cool <laughs> to think of Bill Pope
0: shoot on a shoestring budget indie you know. What we need to recognize with Bill Pope though is his contribution to action filmmaking specifically. And mm. it's re- he is incredible with a camera in that setting. And he's defined a lot of the best looking action films of the modern era, in my opinion. So he followed this up obviously with the matrix sequel or with the matrix and the matrix sequels. He did all three original matrixes. Um, pretty successful. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just a little successful, just the matrix. Um, yeah, only the, the like most groundbreaking action film of, it's generation of certainly of our lifetime. Um, so he did that. He also, uh, did Spider-Man two, which I think is still to this day, the (sighs) best looking and the best overall superhero movie ever made. I completely agree. So he did one of your favorite movies that we talked about in the intro banter that will not be a part of this episode, but might get released later. Guess what? Guess which one he did that you brought up.
1: Oh, Oh, but I'm already forgetting what we talked about. Um, it's a movie I brought up.
0: Mm-hmm. Not as a best debut. This was just when we were yeah, talking about. This was just
1: when we were shooting the shit. Right. Yeah. Uh, we were watching recent things.
0: Oh, you know what? It was. It was when we were talking about. I'll, I'll give you a hint. Comedies. Did he shoot? Fucking. Super bad? No. He shot Team America: World Police.
1: Oh my god, that's awesome. That is fucking awesome.
0: Yep. So he shot that. Um, He also shot Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Dude,
1: let's hold on. We have to pause there for a second.
0: That is so cool
1: that the same person did the Matrix... And Team America. Yep. Like, i that's just catching up to me now yeah. how insanely different those movies are.
0: It's crazy. And we've
1: talked about it in the past about, like, when there's a DP, where it's like, oh, I can't believe they did this and that, that. That's so different. This is one of the most extreme differences I've ever seen. I think we talked about it when we talked about The Godfather and the DP of that also did All the President's Men. This is you know, a way crazier. This is fucking marionette puppets yeah. versus this green and harsh blue split reality film. <laughs> I know. A, it's crazy. So awesome.
0: Sorry. So, so anyway, weird. we were
1: continuing on with more. No, I
0: mean, well, look, I I mean, those are the, the highlights. Uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I still think is one of the best looking movies ever shot. It's brilliant. Uh, he also recently did uh, Alita Battle Angel, which is a really underrated movie that I love uh and Sha- and Shang-Chi uh he shot that recently for Marvel and that's one of the better looking Marvel movies ever I would say. So yeah, he's, I love he's still doing good nature. work
1: man. Yeah, he's still out there killing it. And he and did I Baby Driver. Say,
0: he's he's worked with Edgar Wright a lot recently. <sighs>
1: Baby Driver. You want to talk about a complicated movie. I mean we're mentioning the Wachowskis and their in- incredibly hard shots that they're pulling off in this movie. If anyone has not seen Baby Driver, for those who have, they know what I'm talking about. The symphony of combining the shots with the music is one of the coolest things about that movie, and that must have just been incredibly challenging. It's a and he kills it again point. there
0: great point yeah. yeah I mean I'm sure that you know choreographing those those shots so that they they work in that way I'm, I'm sure yeah I, I gotta believe that Bill Pope had a big hand in in <sighs> figuring, how, figuring all that shit out and like you got can you imagine the collaborate just thinking about that that's gotta be a fun fucking set to be on where you've got the director the director of photography and then like a music supervisor all collaborating yeah. as a trio to like like make sure that everything functions that way it's so cool to <sighs> think about
1: yeah and oh could you imagine that must have been one of the most stressful and that's jobs just me hypothesizing
0: AD. what that is but i i don't know if that's how it works but i i gotta believe they had to have a music person there right
1: oh for sure and i would think like just think about being the, the assistant director on that show for for those who maybe have not worked on a set before the the ad is responsible of uh, amongst other things to making sure everyone is in the right place when things are starting and make sure everyone knows what they're doing. And also, like, you know, a, a second unit director might be doing the two. but...
0: First AD is somebody not to fuck with.
1: Yeah, and can you think of, like, being an AD on fucking Baby Driver and just be like, okay, at this exact moment, you need to pick up your jackhammer and move it over here. At this, like, that, the guy must be, like...
0: Whoever it is must have
1: lost their fucking hair.
0: That's, you know, those are the kind of people that I want to see recognized in Oscar ceremonies is like people that pull that kind of shit off. Anyway, Bill Pope is a legend. I just, we needed to talk about him for sure. sure. Um, We
1: can't, we can't address the camera work without bringing him into it.
0: No, no. um, No, but I think, I think from there, I I mean, I, I wanted to do, if you're cool with this, I wanted to list off just a a couple of shots that that
1: really stuck out to me when I was just like, holy fuck, what a cool shot. Yeah. Um, And these are going to be a little sporadic and like out of time because I'm just kind of ripping them off the dome. But like the shot at the end where the gun is spinning through the paint on the floor. So cool. It spins perfectly. Oh, is that (laughs) fucking shot that shot well, that whole scene pain. i mean
0: that is the highlight of the movie for me is the entire joey pants death scene where he's uh, like the your the overhead shot of the puddle of white paint as the blood ripples into it and then every bullet hit as jennifer tilly can i mean we're right at the end of the movie already but i mean whatever right. it doesn't matter people
1: they've seen it they've
0: seen jennifer it. tilly like you know is is just firing multiple shots into him and the coolest part for me was there's a a a bullet hit on him that you see the paint behind him ripple from the bullet going through his body and like Mm that's such a cool detail that I never would have thought to put in there, but it's like that is the level of detail. But anyway, just the the red of the blood with the white of the, you know, the paint the drops sprinkling into the paint, the so way it cool. pools and swirls together after he has died. So cool. it's all
1: just, again, never seen that
0: best shot in like, the movie. And it's legitimately among my favorite shots I've ever seen.
1: Yeah. It's like that's the first fucking movie. And you know how many things could go wrong in a shot like that? It's insane. They must like, have that tested so that cool.
0: extensively beforehand yeah. to make sure that they could get the, the blood to like show up in the right way. And like, I, they, I even, mean, there's so much work know. that goes into that kind of shot. Another, uh, another
1: amazing shot that, you as involves blood as well Do you remember that scene with a person who stole the money is getting the shit kicked out of him in the toilet and like you know oh that one
0: yeah i thought yeah. you were gonna so go the, a different direction but i've got another one of those but yeah
1: so it's it's when uh, gina gershon who plays corky has has met joey pants character caesar at this point and knows that this person is the mob and know that this person is threatening and she overhears this uh, torture that's happening on the other side of the, of, the, of the wall. And there's this slow push-in shot from above the toilet looking down. And then the camera cuts and it pulls out and it's the toilet that's cr- on the other side of the wall and just blood sprays on it. And this person's getting the shit. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's a fucking great shot. Like and and the movie is just full of well, shit like that. Like, it's like this is
0: so ambitious. Where the toilet like kind of reverberates from the toilet on the other side of the wall yes. getting hit and mm-hmm. like the yeah. I, the, there's a lot of those little details that are just great and they're so good for just the world building and and making you feel that environment and like mm. it's like its own, you know it's got its own unique rules to it. It's kind of cool.
1: Um oh, yeah.
0: But I another one that I was going to say as far as like involving blood was when the cops show up uh or I can't remember if it's when the cops show up or when Mickey shows up but uh at one point somebody steps on the rug that he had put over the blood and the blood pools up through the rug on the on the shoe and it's such a great effect uh, and it's so it's like cool. Ah. Uh, that's the I live for that shit. It's so
1: fucking creepy and squirmy and it's I've, I again, I've never seen that before. And it's got a
0: great sound effect to accompany oh, it with yeah. the squish.
1: Oh. And it was it it was when uh the cops showed up yeah. and apparently what they did is they had a sponge underneath the rug that was soaked with like fake blood so they, and they had to get an, it was like so much fake blood in this sponge that it would come up through the carpeting like that. And it's just like, you know, in a way, a small detail, but a really fucking cool one. And this movie is just stuffed with these really cool, small detail shots.
0: I've but got then another also one. has
1: these huge ones. Yeah, I want to hear the next one.
0: i got another one, which is uh, Joey Pants. We, Which we keep saying Joey Pants. I need to take a second yeah. and say <laughs> Joe Pantoliano is the actor. Uh, he's also in The Matrix. He's also in Midnight Run. He's also in all the Bad Boys movies. He's just a consummate, usually kind of Italian uh, uh, and, and I mean, he—I guess he is still Italian in this movie, uh, but he with some
1: Chicago. But he's, he's got, got Shica- some big Chicago. We'll get to Joey for sure.
0: Nutter time then. <laughs> um. Anyway, he Joey Pants is what we're going to call him because it's just more fun to say.
1: And and that's just a nickname that he goes by. Like people who know him refer to him as Joey Pants. You know.
0: Yeah. Um. Anyway, so so Joey Pants. It's the moment where he. It's where he breaks and shoots Gino Marzoni. Mm-hmm. Um, Who
1: plays like the mob boss character, correct. like the
0: Don. It's what, yeah, because yeah, he's pleading with him, don't shoot. And then he he, yeah. he breaks and, and shoots him. But it's right after that. Because that's one thing I love about this movie is they do a great job of playing with Sound and perception where Mm -hmm. you're kind of in the experience of the characters in a lot of moments and the sound will drop out when they're having just like a panic attack or like, you know, Joey pants, specifically, this happens a few times where it's like everything kind of drops out and you're like zooming in on his eyes and he's kind of losing control. Yeah. And this is one of those moments. And when he breaks from it is when he's, he's still staring at the, you know, uh, at Gino as he's dying. And a bullet comes past his head and hits the the uh, painting behind him or the the mm-hmm. uh, framed uh, picture behind him. That shot, the, uh, the it's a slow mo shot, and the uh, you see the bullet hit and just his reaction as he like slowly realizes somebody's shooting at him. Um, I don't know something about how they staged that shot how they shoot it the the look of the bullet hit the the sound effect of the whizzing at it it's just like it's co- it's cinema you know it's
1: perfect it's perfect gutsy filmmaking and i'm so glad you brought up that shot that scene because the scene of when gino marzone is killed is played by richard c S- Serafian, i guess but he that that's, that has three amazing shots right in a row, right? Mm-hmm. So there's the there's the shot where Gino actually gets shot, and he falls backwards, and it's this really kind of strange and beautiful looking shot of the way he's falling, and that that has an interesting anecdote attached to it too. Right after that, it cuts to the shot you just mentioned, which is Joey Pants. With the with the with the with the shattering of the thing. And mm-hmm. apparently they actually shot a steel ball past his face and into the picture frame. And he was like really nervous about it. So that's a real reaction Holy that he's crap. having to. Like again, this is re- this is
0: true I can't believe rock
1: star indie filmmaking. And then after that there's this amazing shot of of him realizing that he's into he's in a shootout now and he's officially snapped and the camera like pivots behind from behind his head and reveals the gun that's still smoking and he starts shooting it's towards so the good, other people man. and it's just like three in a row of just of just beautiful incredible shots and clearly already laying the groundwork for their 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 knack and talent for knowing when to go slow motion with things. I mean, especially in the early days of the Wachowski filmography, like that is something that they just, they have in their DNA. They Mm -hmm. just know when to, they never overdo it. And they just always can sniff out the right moment to pull it out, to pull off a lot of these tricks. But for me, slow motion specifically comes
0: up. No, but yeah, it's, it's so good the way they play with it. I think you're exactly right. They use it at all the right moments. Yeah. So that scene where the mob boss falls back,
1: right? Right after he's shot. There's a really cool story about that that shot where they had talked to the stunt coordinator before. And they're like, oh, we had this idea. There was this boxer who lost a fight. And when they fell, they were so out of it that they were like still punching upwards as they were like they were like still fighting in their mind. So we want to do something like that where this person kind of falls over. And the stunt person was like oh, the stunt coordinator was like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, we can do that. We'll just pat him up and whatever. And then he met the actor who plays the mob boss. And I was like, we cannot do this. We cannot have this this human being. You know, he's larger and he's older. Just fall down. So that was the day before he, the stunt coordinator had this realization. He and a grip came up with a system of levies to like tip the ap- actor back slowly, and and they only had three suits that had caps in them for the shot. So they only had three shots at getting the shot right. 'Cause again, this is a super low budget movie and they got it on the last one, the last of the three. And it's like, oh again, this movie is just full of so many gutsy, ballsy things like that. And that shot works like fucking gangbusters That's too. That's
0: such a good story. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it's so it's so fun when people go for this shit, like you're saying, and they pull it off. I don't yeah. know. It's so satisfying to watch. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I think, you know, I brought up a a thing that i want to kind of dig into maybe a little bit here which is just the way that this movie plays with your perception of things mm-hmm. you know so like i brought up the thing with caesar joey pants character kind of you know and you're you're in his headspace when he's going through these panicky moments and he, he loses control i think this movie also does that though just in structure because i think you know going back to the beginning of this movie i, I like that it starts Kind of setting you up to think that maybe Violet isn't to be trusted. Uh, Jennifer Tilly's character. Yes, I, I think it's it's really it it sets you up with you know kind of the the opening scene showing Corky in the closet. It looks like Corky is kind of the victim of the the other people's play. Maybe you know like Violet betrayed her, and that's why she's yeah. in this closet.
1: The way the movie starts from a structure standpoint with with Corky in in. Like we know, this goes bad. She's in the closet, bound up, and I—I I had a question for you regarding that. It's like, do you think the movie possibly could have been stronger if it was just told li- more in a linear way? Because I kind of i, I its a—it's a, it's a classic decision to make for any filmmaker when they make that choice to scramble up the timeline Mm -hmm. it's like well you're kind of giving away where something is going to go but you can cash it in for something else and i think one of the benefits of that choice is it it makes us doubt violet a little bit no i think it's the
0: right choice in that way yeah
1: I tend to agree and I'm sure they thought it out and the Wachowski's made the choice. But I
0: mean that's really the only bit is just that you know that she ends up in a closet tied up. But I mean the name of the movie sure. is bound. Like I mean I yeah. think it's kind of built into the expectation of what you're gonna see that this person is gonna find themselves yeah. in a low place at some point.
1: Yeah. Um, I think yeah, I think you're right. I think it is better. To, to kind of flash forward and, and, and inform the audience that this is all going to go poorly at some point and you don't know how or why. Well, but I think I, I would love to see like a fan-made edit yeah. of just it linearly and see how that would work. You know? I also
0: don't mind it because the movie does go out of its way to also play with with time a little bit during the heist elements of it where it's kind of jumping between uh, where Caesar's kind of you know doing the ironing of all the bills and stuff yes. and cleaning them. Yes, talk about
1: a great shot by the way and just shout out to the art department on this that one that is a that's in a banana
0: shot it's just a really strong choice to to tell a story in one shot and do it on a shoestring budget that way again going back to that i think it's time to that we like just dive in if
1: you're cool with it of just like what we think of these performances and who stood out who popped and who didn't i love it um i'm just gonna start and say for me joe pentoliano was a scene was a show stealer and I have always loved him as an actor like in terms of we talk about these actors a lot you and I of like these people who show up and and we just like them and for me Pantoliano has always been that where like whether it's Cypher and The Matrix or it is I've seen some of his character work in The Sopranos I just love seeing him when he goes up but this performance specifically stunned me with how strong it was it's incredible and I've it's I think it's the best I've ever seen from from him as a performance. I think
0: he's said it's his favorite of his. Uh,
1: for based on the, the his work that I've seen, also let's throw a memento in there. He's great in memento Absolutely. too. Um, like based on the things I've seen, it's certainly my I think his best. My favorite might be Cipher just because I think that character's so fucking great and it's, it, but this performance specifically stunned me with how good it was thinking of like especially when the wheels start falling off the wagon and when his his kind of paranoia and craziness really starts escaping like getting away from him that's when i was like holy shit dude he he portrays he portrays a person slipping and and someone kind of just losing it so fucking well and it's he so really believable does. and like speaking of great shots when he opens this case and sees the money's not there for the first time. There's that awesome like chest shot, like that's hanging off his body, that's like looking back up. But his performance through all this stuff was so believable, and I didn't know, I had never seen him as an actor go there. I had never seen him go so big about someone descending into just paranoid madness. Yeah. And it, it, I was like, holy shit, he is, he is really pulling this off, and I'm buying it big time.
0: No, I mean, like, you know, I, th- I think. Joey Pants kind of gets written off because he's usually just these over the top, loud Italian, very aggressive characters. He kind of plays an archetype, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean the the, Quint, the the classic one of of his is Bad Boys. He just is always yelling. He's the kind of the you know the detect or the police captain that Will Smith and Martin Lawrence report to.
1: Right. And he's just always exactly.
0: angry. He's always frustrated with them. You know, he's he's just that guy. Yeah, talk about a trope—not his performance, but the upset
1: commander of some police unit. Of what like, are you doing?
0: You, you 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 blew up the
1: car. You know, that you're kind costing of thing. the community millions. You yeah, know, like that that,
0: kind of that trope. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, he's better than that. I mean, he's great in the no, movies, yeah. but at the same time, you know, it is like it is a, a a trope, an archetype.
1: Yeah, I just I had to I had to mention. I mean, Joey, you know, Joe Pantoliano is not the main character, and. And I just I don't know I I think I was shook by his performance more because I'm somewhat more of familiar with his work versus Jennifer Tilly's and Gina Gershon's sure, and I didn't know he could go there so I think that's why he stood out to me so much as well like and, I,
0: and and I, I mean let's be I mean. I, definitely like we're we'll talk a lot about Gina Gershon and, and Jennifer Tilly and they're both brilliant in this movie. I don't want to take anything away from their performances, but Joey Pants I feel like is the standout of this movie that just like he's the, he's the the scene stealer, you know? He's that kind yeah. of guy. Yeah.
1: And I mean for me the 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 next one that really shook me was was Jennifer
0: Tilly's. So I, good, man. She I didn't is, know she had this in her.
1: She had she is fucking great in this movie. And she is so, like, just uh, charming and seductive and sexy and powerful and and knows how to use these instruments so, so well Well, in terms of, and, and not always diabolically, sometimes in very much like her courtship with Corky. Like she, she generally wants this person. It's not yeah. a manipulative move. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and you
0: see that but, vulnerability. Like you, you see yeah. when she lets lets down her guard. You know, absolutely. But then it's also really fun to see her use that stuff in defense
1: mode of when she's right. pl- plotting and calculating uh, for her own safety and Corky's as well, and to try mm-hmm. to pull this off. It's really cool to see her kind of weaponize her skill set that way. Right. But then also use it in a very positive way like her relationship with Corky of just like I just really want this person and and I'm just showing them that I want them in, in a genuine way.
0: Yeah. No, 100%. It's uh Jennifer Tilly's an actor that could be easy to write off. Um I I think so often she's been cast in a role that is kind of just an offshoot of just her general persona, which is again, like this very airy kind of, um, you know, I, you know, I think, I think
1: people, Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. I think people from our, I'll speak for myself. I had always known her loosely and I don't, I'm not super familiar with her work. Like I mentioned, but i to her, like to me, I always thought she was just like a voice. I thought she was a character of the sort of. Well, like- she's
0: the bride of Chucky, you know. She's obviously she's in a lot of Family Guy. She does a voice on there, like like yeah. she does a lot of things, and she has such a distinctive voice, and it's always yeah. kind of meant to play a ditz or like a, an airhead, and like you know. Yes. I think unfortunately, when an actor gets typecast that way, you start to think that that's who that actor is. And I was so pleasantly surprised by how wonderfully just in there, there's an interiority to her character in this movie, uh, that I didn't know she was capable of. And it's, and it's wonderful to see an actor, like just get a character that they can really chew on, you know? Yeah. And such a, such a cool strength.
1: Within the character, like this person is incredibly strong and a lot of times is unflappable. Like, like she has a fuck ton on the line here, even though she's not. Yeah, she's not responsible for this money, quote unquote. Like, like Pantaleone is, and well, she's putting herself out.
0: the most at risk her of li-
1: anyone. Exactly, like her life is is equally, if not more, on the line, and she keeps it cool. She keeps an even. Like s- display of strength and yeah. keeps it together and, and, and drops these, these uh, surgical lies in at the right moment to try to get this thing off the ground for her and Corky's escape. Yeah. And it's so cool to see her do that and then also use her natural voice as a disarming mechanism. And Jennifer Tilly talked about this in the commentary about how one aspect of her performance that she was really proud of is when it's just her and Corky, she just talks normally but she, when she speaks in the film to men she's kind of trying to manipulate and get dominoes to fall in a certain way she dials up the innocence na- naive tone a little bit to kind of mess with them mm-hmm. and when she mentioned that I really started noticing it's like that's so true and it's really cool to see that subtlety in her performance where like she is she is able to keep these male characters from not suspecting her because she's right. playing into their preconceived notions of what a strong person is and what is someone is capable of doing. And she's using that knowledge to her benefit to kind of pull this thing off. And that's thought that shit was really fucking cool.
0: It's great. It's a really great performance. The highlight of it for me is when they're first initiating the heist, when she uh, delivers the lie to Caesar about Johnny being in the car outside and mm-hmm. she, her delivery there, like, I'll, I'll be honest. I I got distracted. I got a text uh, like when they were explaining uh, kind of that part of the setup, and I got distracted on my phone for a second. I missed that that was an intentional lie. And when I first saw that scene, I thought she was getting caught. In a situation where like the heist was already going bad, (laughs)
1: yeah, like when he's like, but his plane hasn't even landed yet.
0: That exactly, (laughs) I was like, oh shit! (laughs) (laughs) But then I, I was like, wait maybe I have this wrong and I, re- I rewound and watched yeah. it again and I was like, oh okay okay this was yeah. intentional but then that made me appreciate her performance even more because she's delivering that perfectly it's just the right amount of like you can like I I believe that that character is capable of that lie in yes. that moment and yes. she and she has this confidence to it that you're like I buy I buy this 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 yeah. works yeah
1: yeah I, I think that was really well said. Like it's like, she's lying well enough to pull it off, and but it's also like you can you can because we know she's lying. There's a perfect amount of visibility to the lie for us as an audience. Right, like we can kind of tell that she's lying, but if we didn't have this information, we would not suspect it. So think of how hard that must be for an actor to pull off, where you have to, you have to pull off a lie, but still slightly reveal. That you're lying, but not enough for the character across from you to really notice it. Very difficult. And she fucking nails it in that scene. And let's just say she's incredibly sexy in this movie. Oh, Especially when she's aggressive, like, really—well, I should say, especially when she has something she wants— That's when she's sexy. When 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 we see her going after Corky because she wants Corky, Mm -hmm. it's like, Holy shit, this woman is a freight train. And when she actually wants something, (laughs) she could just fucking take it. It's it's so it's so she's just so something about her is just really sexy and absolutely especially again when she sees something she wants. That's when she's at her finest to me. No,
0: she's Jennifer Tilly, man. She's just she's one of a kind. Um I I, I love her as an actor and i I, like i'm so glad that i now have this knowledge that she she's she's so fucking good man i don't know i love it. um well let's move on i want to talk about uh, gina gershon um i i think it's gershon it might be gershon i don't know she's an actor that had just recently kind of gained a lot of fame i want to say around this time for being the kind of uh second not not second lead i guess she's she's a supporting character but she's the more the the antagonist in showgirls that came out the year before this uh which is a paul Verhoeven film that uh Many a teenage boy probably watched on VH1 in our generation back in the day and had a (laughs) grand old time because it's a movie that was NC-17 in the original cut. It's like, you know, very over the top, hypersexual film where she's, you know, she's naked in like at least half the scenes that she's in. It feels like. Anyway, she, uh, you know, got some uh, some fame from that, but mostly negative fam- fame, honestly, because that movie was so roundly panned at the time that it was like, you know, she was the, the kind of second star of a complete failure of a movie in a lot of ways. So it's kind of funny that she's like the star of this movie, but in in any, in any case, I mean, I just, I really love her in this movie. It's interesting because I think, I think
1: this is our first disagreement. You don't like her. I I wouldn't say I don't like her, but you know what? I don't like the performance that much. Okay. Like, never mind. I do, I I'm gonna stand I by think, it. Like, I think it's fine. And I think again, the movie, as we kind of talked about in the intro, is it's not it's it's a little bit surreal. Like these performances are are supposed to be a little over the top. And but her sort of too cool for school attitude for me felt like a little bit too dialed up and I kind of had a hard time vibing with it and like You know
0: what? I think I think as I'm thinking about it you're right. It's it's a performance that feels a little bit removed from everything else in the movie. Yeah. Whereas Jennifer Tilly and Joe P- Joe Pantoliano feel very organic to their environment, and and all the side characters, and we'll and I'll, we'll get to that because I do want to talk about all the fucking mobsters and stuff. They're great, but uh, no, you're right. I I think she feels a little alien to this movie.
1: Yeah, and a lot of her, and maybe that's intentional, you know, but a lot of her. A lot of her dialogue stuff didn't really land for me, and her her kind of deliveries and things. I just kind of found myself like rolling my eyes a little bit. And I think, to some degree, some level of that is is on purpose. You know, I think, I think, like I said, the Wachowskis and, and Gina as her part of this performance are intentionally going big with a lot of this stuff. Sure. But f- for me, some of it, even with that in consideration, was still kind of like,
0: well, there's oof. a way to go big, but be. To still feel a part of that whole,
1: you know, like totally, because like Jennifer Tilly goes super big, like playing this sort of like, you know, kind of. I don't want to use a mind. No, Um, I well, I
0: what I what I was thinking was, you know, the Coen Brothers have these characters specifically, like I'm thinking the big Lebowski that are just so absurdly over the top and all of them are over the top in a different way, but they Mm -hmm. still feel a part of the same world. Yes. When you're working in a heightened environment like that, I think you do like there's an art to standing out, but feeling a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like think of someone like Jesus, you know. You're talking
1: about uh, the Big Lebowski, and uh, like that's a character that is just so
0: over the top, but if it, it, but makes sense well, in the world a little bit. I mean, you could say that about anyone in that movie. You it's could say true. that about Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. You it's could say true. that about uh, Julianne Moore's character. You could say that about uh, God, <laughs> Julianne Moore.
1: Yes, that's not so
0: true. He's good yeah, and yeah. thorough. Thorough. <laughs> um, Do you remember? No, Uli? I mean, like. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, but every, everyone is wacky yes. in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And, and and in this movie, I think to an extent, it's kind of the same thing. Like, going back to Joey Pants, I mean, his Chicago accent and the delivery of, right, nutter time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: it's so good! I wanted to say something cool, too, about... I mean, even though we're kind of, like, tepping on it, one cool thing about Gina's performance that I wanted to give a shout out is... I can't. I can't find her name right now. But on the commentary track, the Wachowskis had with them a a sexual consultant who was on as part of the the producing team and and on the movie, which is really really cool of cool of them by the way, because they recognize that they don't know or they don't know much about the lesbian community and they want it to be accurate. So think about that mid nineties. Like pretty cool for them to be like, let's get a yep. let's let's have let's let's have a professional to talk to and make sure we're doing this right.
0: Can I uh, can I credit her name because I have it here? Please, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please her do name is Susie me. Bright. Susie Bright. Yes, and she also made okay. a cameo in the movie. She is the uh, woman that uh, Gina Gershon hits on when she goes to the lesbian bar.
1: Right. Right. Oh, cool. Uh, but she she mentioned in the commentary about how she was talking to Gina about the character, obviously, before they were starting. And she was kind of trying to be like, you know, I don't want this this character to be like a loud billboard lesbian. She shouldn't be wearing Birkenstocks. She shouldn't be like what what some people might consider a lesbian to be. And Gina said, oh, I'm not even thinking about the character being a lesbian. I'm thinking about James Dean. I'm thinking about Paul Newman. I'm thinking about... Sure. Clint Eastwood, like she's trying you can to see her channel a, a certain enneylet. Yeah, you and can Susie, definitely I see I guess, it. had a big sigh of relief, where she's like, "That's what she wanted to hear. Yeah, that this character is not. She's not even thinking. Uh, this actor Gina is not even thinking about the stereotypes that are associated with with lesbians at the time. Right. She's thinking correctly. Is like, no, I'm trying to channel performances. Who cares what the gender is of the person?
0: A, a bit of trivia that I I found really interesting was that when they were, sh- when the Wachowskis were shopping this around to studios, cause it, I mean, it was a great script. Like obviously like people were like, Oh yeah, I see this as a movie. This makes sense. Mm. Apparently a lot of the studios were turning them down because they were saying, well, this is a great script, but why can't the main character just be male? Why can't mm. Corky be a man? Mm. And they were like, well, that movie's been made. We that, that's mm. been done a million times. Like, yeah why wouldn't we just do this? And, and at the, like when you watch the movie, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, like, of course it it makes total sense for this movie. And, and like, it doesn't make sense in like a, Oh, they're making a statement way. It just, it just makes sense in the, like, I I don't know. They just, I I think that they're, they're just really intelligent filmmakers.
1: Oh, for sure. And one thing that they said, it's like when they, uh, what the Wachowski said, it's just like, like, like a, Explosion. It's like, oh yes, that's so true. It totally does not work if one of the characters is male, because the movie. And again, I don't think it's like aggressively trying to say this, but it's inte- it's imperative for the story. the The male characters in this movie are misogynistic and underestimate these women. Yes, and don't suspect them of things because they don't think that women are capable of doing this sort of stuff. So and right. And they when they said that I was like oh yeah that's exactly right like the do whole, you remember
0: like, if it was Lana or Lily that said that
1: I don't I don't remember if it was Lana or Lily and honestly it might have been Pantaleone somebody oh, but okay. somebody in the commentary but, but said I
0: mean it. that's a brilliant point because it, it, yeah. it that's exactly correct because the the whole point of the movie is that it is women upending these you know toxic masculine figures yeah. and and beating them at their own game a little bit you know
1: yes and ex- and. And their own blindness. Like, think of the scene when penteliano first walks in and thinks that Corky is male for a second, and he starts going off. He's like, "What's going on here?" And then he sees that that Corky's female, and he incorrectly just assumes, like, "Oh, sorry, nothing. To I was worry being about. silly." And of course, there was something for him to worry about. Yeah, and that's the that's that's his flaw in a nutshell, and it leads to his downfall. Oh. Is he does not think these women are capable of this because this is a man's game. Yeah, and it's what
0: kills him. Well, and I mean, you know, a perfect capper to the movie is that the, the way they get away is that Jennifer Tilly just seduces Mickey and just, like, yeah. makes him, like, believe all her bullshit. Yeah. And, like, she, the way that he sort of—and, and you know, we haven't talked about it yet, but all the side characters are brilliant. But the guy who plays Mickey, um, his name is John Ryan, John P. Mm. Ryan on, on IMDb, but— the guy is so good in this fucking movie it's, it's one of the best supporting performances i've seen in a long time but there, there's a moment when jennifer tilly is seducing him by the car at the end mm-hmm. where she like kind of just like gives this little sexy hint that she might have like fucked him up like if he had asked or something you know kind of that kind of he, deal.
1: yeah he gives her he gives him a little peck the, oh yeah,
0: right. Well, she, yeah, she does that. And, and then he like does this little like stumble lean into yes. her, like kind of like, Oh fuck, I want more, you know, like this little, like little whimpery puppy kind of look on his yeah. face. And I'm like, she has you by like wrapped around her fucking finger. It's so great.
1: So another note of just how good John Ryan is in this movie too. Cause I completely agree with you. He just floored me very electric on camera when 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 Jennifer Tilly is kind of toying very near the end with Caesar uh, Joe pa- Joe Pantoliano she's toying with Caesar and she's like okay th- and it's, it's she's like right, just kill Mickey that's kill Mickey and then we're done i'm thinking like not Mickey like Mickey's all right like he, Mickey was one of the only male characters where i thought he was okay like clearly he wanted to He's also Jennifer the guy Tilly. who's
0: cutting off fucking fingers with pruning shears
1: He's doing his job. Like he, he, he has, he has, he has that moment with, with Jared with the Nazi defense out of nowhere, (laughs) following orders. He's following orders. Um, I mean, actually was, I don't think he was the one who cut. It was the other, it was the henchman who did it, you know, the other guy, but maybe not, maybe not. But anyway, there's that scene where Jennifer Tilly, right after the fingers cut is trying to leave and Joey, Joey Pandoliano does not want her to leave. And then he comes up and obviously he's he's trying to just, ha- just get with Jennifer Tilly to some degree. But he does have that nice moment where he's like, just get out of here. I'll take care of Caesar. Go for a walk. Get out of here. You should not be here for this. So he, amongst a lot of the mobsters, to me, he seemed the most somewhat moral and like, okay. Like, I didn't hate the I, guy.
0: See, I don't know. I had a different read on him. He was the scariest one to me. Oh, I thought he
1: was scary for sure, but he seemed like the most. With in some weird way, he seemed to have the strongest moral compass out of many of the side characters we. He
0: was clear on who he was and his role in everything. So, like, he feels the most comfortable to his situation. I think it's like it's kind of like the Ray Winstone in uh, the Departed effect. Great comparison. Where it's like this guy, the you trust him. Even though he's probably the one you least should trust, because he's going to fuck you up if he finds out that you're you're fucking with yeah. him. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. but he's also the guy you most want to hang out with and have a beer. Yeah, with. Yeah, something about him is kind of charming. That is such a good comparison. <laughs> yeah,
1: like because uh, Ray Winston is someone in that movie, The Departed, that I just kind of like and I find funny. There's a scene in that movie where he kills his wife, and like we're still kind of like, oh, Ray Winston. Like not in that scene, but when he's like. Making funny speeches of like, I'm going to make a rule right now. You don't fucking hit. There's just something charming about him. And I agree that this guy has a lot of this sort of energy too. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, no, John Ryan is great in this movie. Other side characters though to mention is this is a very early, I want to say Christopher Maloney, uh, performance. Mm. And I, I really like him. I think he's, the perfect amount of kind of sniveling for for the character, even though yes. like he doesn't really play that a lot. Chris Maloney is famous for being the main guy on Law and Order SVU forever. He also is famous in the improv comedy community because he was with like David Wayne and Paul Rudd and did uh, Wet Hot American Summer and and stuff like that. So he's like he's got a toe in a lot of different realms. Um, I find I I had no idea he was in this movie. I thought it was really cool to think that like Chris Maloney pre Wet Hot American Summer pre Law and Order SVU is like working with the Wachowskis. That's fucking cool.
1: Yeah, super cool. And I mean, yeah, I really dug his performance as the son as you know, Johnny Marzone, like he was
0: titled shit.
1: Yeah, an entitled shit who is not as confident as they are projecting and does have a a significant amount of frailty that they're trying to cover up. You know, a lot of that was poking through and shout out to to his death scene after he's shot and Joey Pantaleone is like in his face as he's his character is dead and is like shouting at him. That's one of the more committed and difficult death performances I've seen, which sounds silly, but he has Joey Pantaleone, like has him by the lapels and is shaking him and is touching his face and he's not blinking. He's not moving. It's,
0: he's, it's he's, really impressive.
1: It's a really like people forget how, like you don't really think about that in a lot of ways, unless there's a bad death scene. Like, and it's like, Oh, that didn't work. But when, it, when someone pulls it off, it's like, fuck dude, he can't even blink. He can't flinch. He, he has to keep his, his body slack. He's doing all that stuff really, really well. And it's, it's tricky, but obviously his performance goes far beyond that. And he is, he's got funny, he's got good energy and he's, he's, he's really good on screen.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I, I dig Chris Maloney in this, uh, also, you know, Richard Serafian, Sera, Seraphian. Ser, 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 Serafian. Ser, did we decide Seraphian? with the <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. We're no. going to put all this we're in. we just say so, them both. We're leaving this in. We we're leaving this in. One end. of them, right. <laughs> Richard. Yeah. No, but, uh richard seraphian is is really good in this i don't know if that's the pronunciation but i'm going with it which i think he's got the the overhead shot that kind of pulls down in front of him when he's walking in they do a lot of like close-ups that i i think are are really powerful use of close-ups in this movie and they do a bunch with him um and he's only in this movie for like five ten minutes I mean, and he, no, he's, he I mean, it in. might be more than that. I mean, it's a long scene, so, no, it but it's one scene really.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I feel like we've covered a lot of the subjects we wanted to hit. We talked about, you know, the visual style of the film, how amazing the Wachowskis are for pulling this off and how I do really think it's indicative of where their career is going to ro- go in some ways. Like you could tell these are special people and that they have wonderful talent for making films, mm-hmm. particularly visually. Um, but as we're kind of rounding the bend, is there any other shout outs you wanted to mention before we start wrapping up anything yeah. else that stood out
0: to you? Well, I mean, this is a really small thing, but I, you know, I brought up the pruning shears earlier, but I love when a movie comes up with a creative, like weapon or implement that yeah. uh, gets used. And I just, when they brought those pruning shears out and put it around that guy's finger, I tensed up like, a, like I just got a paper cut. <sighs>
1: god so fucking true when they show the shot of the finger hitting the ground you're like oh my gosh like i just yeah that was it super, was
0: properly super properly uh effective i would say like it was like it it was very visceral and uh, disturbing yeah, yeah. something about plunging. the way the blade is curved just made me my, yes. my stomach turn oh,
1: my god that's such yeah that was that was so cringy in the best possible way and then overall, I just wanted to say that I think this movie does an excellent job of dialing up the tension. We talked a lot about how it shifts gears and jumps around, but once the, the the con is on, so to speak, things just go so not according to plan and things just keep getting, the tension is just keep dialing up. The stakes keep getting raised and the movie moves in such unexpected directions that it's just i don't know it's just really i think so a special effective. film in
0: that way yeah no i, I i'm with you there 100 it's i i love every time they twist the screw you don't see it coming they like for yeah. some reason they've they structured this in a way that i just i could not uh i i could not see anything coming beforehand, and and that's like that's pretty rare for me these days with like mystery movies and shit I feel like so much shit is on the nose and and you just you can read it a mile away and like this movie I, I never knew where it was going I, it was so much fun to go on this ride it, it was a roller coaster totally agree and think of the fact that we're given information in the beginning that's like hey
1: we know at some point this does not work like we know that Corky's going to be For sure. bound and thrown
0: into a closet. But so you know, that's okay. So that I, that actually brings to mind a a famous thing that Alfred Hitchcock once said. So Hitchcock once said that there's a difference between shock and suspense. I think that's what it is. I could have that hmm. wrong. But the way he describes it is you've got a scene, right? And let's say two people are sitting at a table having dinner. It's shocking if a bomb explodes randomly and you have no explanation for it, catches you off guard, makes you feel that jump. That's shock, right? Suspense is where you show the bomb under the table. You tell the audience that something's going to happen and you let them right. fill in the gaps for you of like what is going to happen. They try they start to anticipate, they get they get pent up. They see these people not recognizing the problem. They, they you know, that's the difference. And so with Bound, I think going back to what you said at the beginning of, of us recording this is like, you know, you talked about like, well, is it is it, you know, worth putting this insert at the beginning of Corky being in the closet? And, and I, think you, I think you came out on the side of, yeah, it is worth yeah. it. But I mean, but the reason that it's worth it is because you're putting that bomb under the table. You're showing the audience yes. this is gonna go wrong and you're letting them kind of try to anticipate when and how it goes wrong. And because of that, you leave all this open air for you to fill in that, you know, that thing. And it's, I don't know. I think that's like, that's why this works. That's why it's like, you know, why shit that doesn't, isn't this good doesn't work, you know, it's because they don't know how to do that properly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I
1: I completely agree. And to reinforce, you're right. I think it was the right decision to show that, but, but there is a consequence to any action, you know, creatively. And it's like, well, if we, we we're kind of tipping our hand a little bit, but I think it's worth the exchange for sure. And you're right. It adds that sort of that dread, uh, that, that suspense, that tension.
0: Yeah. But yeah. Sweet. Well, let's wrap up on bound. I mean, I I think we both really love the movie. You know, the more I talk about it, the more I love it. I think it's elevating for me over, over the hours and days that I sit with it. So I'm really excited to, to have this in my life. And you know, I've now watched every Wachowski film. I'm very happy to say, and this is quite honestly, I looked back at my rankings and this is like, I'd put this like probably number three for them, like behind, uh, the matrix and speed racer for me. Yeah.
1: I mean I um that's 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 very high praise. And I I I'm just going to be so excited as they continue to make more films because and I I just wanted to mention too I I totally respect and 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 admire their just desire to just be kind of not in the spotlight and not not want to have that be front and center. But I I wish they would do more I interviews know. because because listening selfishly to, I want that I know like they they should obviously just do whatever they want whatever makes them happy and comfortable but just hearing the commentary was like it's just so lovely hearing them discuss movies because they obviously are geniuses at yeah. creating film and again. So it was just such a. I think delightful. I'm going to buy
0: the Blu-ray just for the commentary at this. Yeah, point. it's one of the better. Now that I've heard you say that, that, I'm like, I don't know why I don't just buy this right now. Yeah, it reminds me of like, um, you know,
1: because the actors kind of come in late and could join when they can, but and they they're not they don't take the movie too seriously. They poke fun at it at times. They poke fun at each other, um, and it's just a, and but the, it's also enlightening. And they go into a lot of decisions and whys and and things that were going on at the time. One of the better commentary tracks I've ever heard, and yeah, I, I I've got of several Wachowski movies I still have yet to see. No, yeah, what's this left movie, on your list for them? Uh, Cloud Atlas, um, Speed Racer. There's another Jupiter Ascending. I think that's and Sense Eight, the show.
0: Oh, I, I haven't, haven't seen Sense Eight, so um, yeah. I I, I want to say no. They they both collaborated on that. That wasn't just Lana. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah no i i need to watch sensei too i i haven't watched that but you have to watch speed racer man like and People and rave. don't like go get a blu-ray of that because you mm. need that frame rate to to work because this that movie is one of the most technical marvel type movies as i've ever seen I've, I've never seen anything like it i don't think any movie will ever look like it again mm. it is one of a kind Well, let's, um, I mean, we got to get into what's going on to the board in its place. And, you know, we, we said at the beginning of this episode that we're changing up the way this goes, um, this week, it's actually going to work out like it has in the past where, uh, Jared's movie is getting replaced by another Jared movie. But next week I'm going to put something on the board regardless of what Jared hits right now. So Jared, what's going on on the board? So as always, I was kicking around
1: a lot of different options. And something's telling me it's t- we're due for another shamer Uh-oh. Now my shamer has still not been hit yet. The Sixth Sense remains on the board. We'll get to that whenever we get to it. but I was like, I kind of want to put a fun one on, and I have an interesting shamer that I'm kind of in yeah I'm, I'm ashamed that I haven't seen it, and it's Big Daddy. Are you familiar <laughs> with the Adam Sandler <laughs> film Big Daddy? <laughs> 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 Hell yeah. I'm familiar with Big Daddy. Let's go. So I, I, well, I'll I'll save save my Adam Sandler feelings, which are all positive for when we hit it. But somehow I just missed Big Daddy. I've never seen it. I like Adam Sandler a lot. And it's a movie that a ton of people have seen. And I think it'll be a fun one to chat about, especially (laughs) me through the eyes of, I don't even know a lot of the jokes in it. Like I'm, I'm very excited
0: about I it. I love that this is your pick. Uh yeah, man. This is going to be this is going to be a fun one. <laughs> if we're ever going to get an audience it's going to be for a big daddy episode. So fuck yeah, let's do yeah, it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's sweet. So that's so
0: that's going to be going in 10. That's my point. That's my
1: pick for this week. And uh, I All guess right. let's see. Let's see. Should we should we should we trust the dart?
0: Let's let. <laughs> Should we trust Yeah, we should trust the dart.
1: I have interesting news, Drew.
0: What is that?
1: If I'm not mistaken, we have another
0: repeat number. The dart has spoken. And what was the number? Number one. That is a repeat number. We have only hit it once, but that is one of mine. What do we got at number one? It's a movie that got added to the board recently. It's Aaron Brockovich.
1: Aaron Brockovich. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Thing, I think that's the exact way that you said Aaron Brockovich when I first put it on the board was Aaron Brockovich. That's the best way to say it, baby. Who knew? Oh,
1: wow. Aaron B. <laughs> nice. We're going to be
0: graced with Julia Roberts presence. We get to talk about Steven Soderbergh, who's a fascinating filmmaker to talk about. Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited. That's going to be fun. I'm excited to to see if I like it. I just don't know. So man what what a what a show we have here jared we are fucking rocking and rolling
1: fuck yeah dude aaron b next week
0: (laughs) aaron b next week all right guys have a good night we'll see you next week light up thank you so much for listening please remember to subscribe to our show on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you like to listen if you want to keep in touch or if you have a bullseye selection you want to send our way drop us a line at darkboardmovienight at gmail.com if it's for the bullseye, make sure you use subject line Bullseye Confidential. Follow us on Instagram at Dartboard Movie Night. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric.